This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's Creature Feature, a spotlight on one of the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin's extra special guests. And we welcome back to the awesome morning show studio, Jordana White from Wildlife Hospital Dunedin here to fill us in on another one of the extra special guests at the hospital. Uh, Morena, good to have you with us, Jordana. Morena. Who are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to keep it very local with Otago Shags or Kawo. So if you're in Dunedin, maybe if you're in Oamaru, along coastal Otago, you're very, very likely to have seen these birds. Yeah, almost always if you take a, a walk along um, any of the cycleways, walkways, you'll see them there. You'll any, Out on the peninsula, you'll see them there. Heading up the coastline, you'll see them there. That's right, yep. Yeah, we do actually have multiple species of shags in Otago. Uh, so if you're like me, you can't keep them all straight very easily. <laughs> I find them very difficult, and I'll explain why. they get These ones are particularly tricky. Um, so for your two North American listeners, I will also mention that shags are known as cormorants in other parts of the world. Right. Um, that's why well, I don't know why we call them shags here, but so we do. So we will carry on with that. Um, so actually, there are 36 species of shags or cormorants in the world, and one-third of them are in New Zealand. Ah. But the Otago shag, the only place that it's found in the whole world, is Otago. All right. Well, let's talk about the special characteristics of this bird then. Very special. Yeah. So uh, all of the species of shags are grouped you know, into different – well, they're divided into different groups. The Otago shags are part of the pink-footed group. So that will give you one hint as to what this bird looks like. It does indeed have pink feet. And it's a big bird. It's two or two and a half kg, which for us, having them in hospital, that's, that's actually quite a large bird. Um, and they, this is where they start getting confusing, and it doesn't end here. So they have two different uh, morphs, which means colorways. So they come in two different flavors, I guess, is the way to look at it. One flavor is the pied morph, or the pied colorway. So that's about a third of the Otago shags, and that's black and white. Um, so... That also looks like a whole bunch of other different types of shag. Uh, and then the other morph is bronze, and that's most of them. So that's about 70% of them. And they have sort of, they're sort of brownish black, and then they have a green sheen on the wings and a blue sheen on the body, which to me doesn't actually sound like bronze at all, but sort of colored like a mallard in a way. You know how they kind of have that like bronzy green color mm. to them? So it looks a bit like that color wise. Um, but, yeah, they don't look anything alike, really, the two different morphs. They're quite different. Um, the only thing that I would say is is pretty clear about them is they have this really striking bright bluish purple bit around the bottoms of their eyes. So both of the morphs have that. And it is not – like it is so bright. It's incredible. It's a really, really cool color. So that's one way – Would we see would it by – would we notice it by uh, – th- yeah, from a distance? You, you probably would. Uh, I mean – Walking along the cycleway, or so you know, you you probably could see them. You get close enough within I don't know twenty or thirty meters, yeah. you probably would see that. It's it's quite striking. It's really cool looking. Um, but the problem is that both of the morphs and they, and at different ages, they they also look different. And then they, at all ages and stages and morphs, they can be confused with multiple other kinds of shags. So I got to be honest with you, I mostly wouldn't have a clue which shag I was looking at. I'm I'm not that much of a bird nerd that I would know that. But in hospital, we know what we're looking at because people smarter than me are taking care of these animals, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but one one I can give you a quick tip, which if you're trying to figure out, um, so Otago shags don't perch in trees. So if you're seeing a shag perch, there are other species of shags that do perch in trees, but not these ones 
So that's a little bit of a helping tip, I guess. I've seen trees full of shags. Then they're not Otago shags. Yeah, no, and it wasn't here either. Yeah, (laughs) oh, there you go. Then definitely not Otago shags. Um, So these ones nest on cliffs. Um, If if you do get the opportunity this lovely festive holiday season to get out with your family, either on like Port to Port or the Monarch on a boat tour, they'll go below um, the albatross colony and you'll see the the shag colonies there, the nests. Uh, nest sites there, which is quite quite good to see. Um, they make these um, really, man, they nest in precarious spots on the cliff. Have you seen this out mm. there? It's incredible where they'll perch. And they make these nests that are shaped like top hats, which is almost charming until you learn that they're like cemented together with poo. <laughs> which, but, you know, renewable resource. Cool. You know. Now, I love to quiz you, Jeff, as you know. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> do, how, how do you think an Otago shag measures how far away from its neighbor to make its nest? Do you think it walks it out with its floppy feet? Mm, maybe it throws a something. Wing. Um, How far it can biff a piece of rock? <laughs> we're kind of actually along the right track. It's like just out of pecking distance. Pecking. Okay. Yeah. So if it's sitting in its little yeah. top pet nest and it can just reach its neighbor and it needs to move over a little bit, which I, th- I just find that very charming yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Um, it's clever if you think about it. Not not a bad idea. Um, so yeah, we we do we are very lucky, of course, in Otago to have this very very special species all to our very own. Um, but we really did a real number on these birds when we arrived as people. Um, they used to be found all the way up from you know very tip of the South Island up to about Marlborough. So Shelmans have evidence of Otago shags from that time. But within a hundred years or so of people arriving, we had really quite decimated um, this population and we shrunk down their gene pool. So they lost about 95% of their genetic variation, just a total genetic bottleneck, unfortunately. And then they're really limited to the sort of rocky, cliffy areas where we will really see them still today. Um, So uh, they, the other thing, they've, they've been here way, way before us, but we didn't actually even know that until 2016. Really? Yes. So the reason is because we thought the Stewart Island shag was just a Stewart Island shag. And in fact, what we were seeing were two completely different species. So one of which is the Otago shag, and one is called now the Fovo Strait shag. And I might argue that it doesn't help that they're so confusing with all the other shags, that maybe that's why we didn't figure that out until so, so recently. But it was some University of Otago researchers that discovered they were, in fact, two separate I mean, species. You mentioned the physical differences, and there's, they're minor. Are there other characteristics that make them? Do they have behavioral differences? I think they're extremely similar. Mm. I think that the reason they discovered they were separate species is just advancements in genetic testing yeah. and understanding that they're different. There may be some minor behavioral differences now that people are paying attention, but I would suggest that, that, that we don't actually know that much yet about the, the differences between the two. What made them so attractive? Were they good to eat? Yes, they were good eating, but also we caused quite a lot of habitat destruction right. um, as people. So just, they've just lost out on the, the places that they like to nest uh, and breed. Um, they do still have pretty good foraging grounds around. Um, so you may actually also, if you look up next time you're along the harbor and, ha- and see, they, they do fly in flocks, but they fly in what's called line astern formation, which if, if you're a military person, you'll know what that is because it's actually a military term. So if you think about uh, planes flying basically in line, like head, 
tow to tip or whatever. Um, and they fly, they're called squadrons. A group of shags it looks is called amazing. a squadron. Yeah. It looks amazing. And most of us have probably, if we spend any time, uh, we've seen these squadrons flying very low over the water as yes. well. Yeah. And again, if you're out on the Monarch or with Port to Port uh, on the Sooty Chaser, you'll see them flying quite, yeah, as you say, quite low uh, along the water. And it is it's quite, they're shaped like arrows. Mm. Um, and they stick their necks way straight out when they fly. So they're, it's quite striking. And I just, I don't know why I love, they're kind of, I don't know, they kind of, because I've seen them in hospital and they're sort of just like boring floppy birds in hospital, I didn't actually think that much about them until I've learned more. Obviously, they're way more interesting out in the wild, as all of our patients are, really. I mean, they don't want to be in hospital. But I just find it quite charming that they're these militaristic squadron birds off to, off to their foraging grounds in formation. What tends to bring them to hospital? Well, I was going to quiz you on that, as uh, a matter okay. of fact. So let's what do I think? Just, okay, so let's think about it. We've, we've talked about where we find them mostly, right? So that's in the harbor, in really in Dunedin Fishing. City. Gosh, you are good. Yes, well done. So unfortunately, the majority of the reason that we get these Otago shags is because they have had some kind of interaction with, with fishing equipment, um, most likely fishing hooks, um, which is terribly dangerous and painful these, for these birds, mm. as you can imagine. And now here's something we, we really have to talk about this as a piece of advice. If you, It's summertime. It's you know the holiday time. Everybody's off work doing the things that they love. Fantastic. If you're out fishing anywhere, but in particular, of course, the harbor area, and you end up hooking a bird please don't just cut the line and let it go, okay? Please don't cut the line. We'll often see fish hooks in the mouth, and you think you might think to yourself, oh, that's all right, I'll just grab the bird and pull the hook out. But nine times out of ten when that bird is in hospital, we will have found not just a hook in the mouth, but it will have swallowed a sinker or a lure, mm. okay? And that is much more serious. And all of these things require expert people to do it because it is so painful for them. They must have pain relief. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, the, the, the swallowing of the sinkers and the lures really can rupture their internal organs quite easily. Um, we have unfortunately lost a number of seabirds to that exact problem. Um, but the other thing that people don't think about is a lot of those the sinkers in particular are made out of lead. And so they can get lead poisoning. So even if we can remove the fishing equipment, which we can do, um, but if it's been in the bird for a while, they can have they, they can have lead in their bloodstream, which we can also fix. But then there's just multiple problems in it, and we just would really they'd rather not come in with those in the first place. So the the main thing is is if if you are out fishing, please take all of your equipment with you, and I mean everything, all of the the hooks, lines, and sinkers, and lures, and all of the equipment. Please bring it with you because if it's out in the environment, it causes a lot of problems for our native species. We've had gulls that have had fishing wire wrapped around their tongues, and their tongues have died, and there's nothing we can do for them there. It gets wrapped around legs. Um, yeah, the hooks are a real problem. Take everything with you. And I, I really liked the um, take three for the sea reminder. Anytime you're out at the beach, at the harbor, wherever, really anywhere, and you see pieces of rubbish, take at least three pieces of rubbish with you, even if you didn't put it there. Put it. Make sure it's disposed of properly because most of those things on our coastal communities end up in the marine environment where they cause problems for our natives. So just take all of those with you. And, and again, if you do catch a bird on a line, some I have seen some normally reputable places giving advice as you just cut the line and let them go. But you're basically giving them a death sentence, yeah. you know, based on what we've seen in hospital. So please don't do that. It's okay. Anyways, it's an accident. You're mm -hmm. not going to get in trouble. So just ring Doc. Call that uh, Doc 0800-DOC-HOT, the Doc Hotline. 
let them know what's happened, keep the bird in a quiet, calm place, and Doc will advise how you get it to hospital and we'll take care of it from there. Will they tend to follow fishing boats or are we talking about people of, you know, casting from shore and, and so forth? I mean, have they got a habit like, like other birds do to follow those fishing vessels and get in trouble that way? Do you know, I'm not too sure about that, actually. I think the the... In the harbor, I have heard of people catching shags accidentally because they are diving birds. They're diving for their for their food, so they yeah. do get attracted to the to the, the shiny lures. Thing under the yeah, water. exactly. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, so, uh, in terms of being outside the harbor, I'm not sure about that. They do have foraging grounds. I suspect that there's not a lot of boats out there anyway, so I'm not really sure if they're interacting. I haven't really heard of them interacting with boats. Um, that said, there is. Um, Probably, hopefully, not Otago shags, although it does happen, unfortunately. Some people do kill them illegally. Um, they shoot them. And that is because they, they shags, as a general species, do come with a reputation for being an irritant to fishermen. Um, but it's not the Otago shag species that is the problem. Um, I would it's argue a that they're not the problem. But, uh, it is, well, true. But uh, I think is the black shags, I believe, are the ones that um, are, tend to take fish um, from fishermen and those are only, my understanding, partially protected, but Otago shags are fully protected, um, and you can't you can't shoot can't shoot the natives. Sorry, can't do it. Um, so that's that's. I know that fishermen don't always love shags, but um, yeah, I think it's. I think we can all agree that a slow and painful death is not going to be mm. great for any any bird. With these precarious nesting sites, perhaps not so much predators in terms of the injuries that the birds might get. They must be. It'll be a. Um, a very smart and agile predator that could nab them from there. Yeah, they do have definitely some natural protection based on where they nest, definitely. Um, I, w- I would think based on the precarious position of the nest that sometimes the babies tumble out, but mm. I'm not sure. But that is why they make that top hat shape to keep them, keep kind of keep them in that cup. Um, but don't... Don't have a lot of. I haven't heard a lot of reports. Certainly, never had an indication from our patients that they've been predated. Um, it is pretty much exclusively the fishing equipment that we see mm. shags for. And that's something we can do something about, as you've said. Absolutely. Yep. It's and it, it, it's really quite easy. Just yeah. take your stuff with you. Pick up the rubbish that you do see, and if you catch a shag or any other seabird, just let Doc know. How in general are our populations doing? Uh, I think it's there are naturally small population, and that is because we only have them in this one place. So they are considered nationally vulnerable, which is a threatened classification by DOC. Um, so they are a priority species. Um, but part of that may just simply be that naturally small population. It just means if there's something that happens, maybe let's just, just throw out an example. If there's some kind of toxic algae or something that was happening in the area, uh, and, the, and their foraging ground, that could put the whole species at risk. And mm. it may very well be something naturally occurring, but because there's only there's, there are so few of them and they really only are in one place, that that's pretty risky for them. Well, we've had some good advice today. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, for those of you who can't tell one shag from another, uh, you might need to do a bit of study on that. And uh, you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jordana, thanks so much for joining us again here on ORFM for, ORFM for our Creature Feature. We look forward to catching up with you uh, next month. Kia ora. The Wildlife Hospital Dunedin treats sick and injured native New Zealand species right here in the heart of Aotearoa's wildlife capital. Their expert veterinary team patches up more than 500 patients every year, returning the majority of them back to the wild where they belong. You can learn more about the hospital, including ways to support this charitable trust, at wildlifehospitaldunedin.org.nz or follow their Facebook page for more fabulous creature content. 
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.